Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Thanks for allowing us to share this time with you. Honestly, it's our favorite time of the day where we get to hang out together and talk about how the truth of God's Word can make a huge difference in your life. And that's what we're going to hear from Richard in a way that only he can do with words of hope, insight, and humor. You may be stuck in traffic or stuck in life. Either way, today's message is going to help get you on the right track as you learn how much God loves you right where you are. So let's get right into today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Let Down. And we're gonna look at a bunch of different passages in the scripture today. Let me just jump in here and talk to you a little bit about what can happen to you in, in this category. And there's a couple of definitions for these two words. Have you ever gone like to a convenience store or a donut shop and you go in and you buy an eclair, one of those cream eclairs with the chocolate on the top, either the long or the round ones, and you get in your car because you just assume everything's okay, and you get out in your car and you're driving away and you got your little thing of milk maybe, and you get about a mile or two from the deal and you reach over and you bite into this eclair, and at least in the end you went into, there is no cream. So what you say to yourself is, you know what, it's hiding on the other side. So you start biting your way around it, and what you find out is you've been ripped off. They sold you an eclair with no cream in it. And if you're me, you get pretty disruptive, disgusted. You like go back, I want my cream. I did not come in here for a no cream eclair. And in some way, you feel a little bit let down by the Krispy Kreme people. <laughs> now you say, well, that's ridiculous, that's silly, that's just some little thing in life and you get over it, you know, what are you getting upset about? But you know, it's these little things like this that we allow to just pick away at us. And we spend our days and our time getting all upset about things that really don't matter. Now you say, okay, I'll grant you that on that end. But what if it's a big deal? What if it's something major? What if it's something health-wise, family-wise, some God thing that he was supposed to come through and he let us down? And we feel let down after that experience. What if you got married and it didn't work out? Or what if you're married right now and all the things you had conjured up and convoluted in your mind and thought, this is what it's going to be like, and you got in the deal and all of a sudden it's not what, you know, on TV, they can go to the commercial and fight and scream and then come back after the break and it's everything's okay. In real life, there are no commercials. It's just real life. And what you thought it would be in any category, sex, communication, men expecting one thing, women expecting another thing, and you think, you know what, this isn't what I signed up for. And you think, God, why did you let this happen to me? I talked to you a little bit about it. I asked for your advice. I know I didn't take it, but, you know, I feel let down. Why did you let me in this situation? We've got people in our church and beyond here that physical stuff, cancer, and God knows what he wants to do and how he's going to do it. Our job in the midst of even being let down in these circumstances of being discouraged is to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do day in and day out? How do you want me to be faithful? How do you want me to live? The results are up to you. Whether it works out or not is up to you, but I'm going to obey you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do my part and keep my eyes on you. Now, there's some great stories in the scriptures, and let's get to some of those. Let me read you a few definitions. Let down is a slackening of effort. Relaxation is one of the definitions. But to let down is to fail to support, to fall short of the expectations of. And while we're on definitions, disappoint means to fail to meet the expectation or hope of. And sometimes it's God that disappoints us, that lets us down, we think. Sometimes it's other people. Sometimes we let ourselves down. 
I found this little story about the devil, according to legend, once advertised his tools for sale at public auction. When the prospective buyers assembled, there was one oddly shaped tool which was labeled not for sale. Asked to explain why this was, the devil answered, I can spare my other tools, but I cannot spare this one. It's the most useful implement that I have. It's called discouragement. And with it, I can work my way into hearts otherwise inaccessible. When I get this tool into a man's heart, the way is open to plant anything there I may desire. Now, as we'll see in a moment in the scriptures and in our lives as well, usually mountaintop, powerful, unbelievable experiences are followed by a very vulnerable time where you can get clobbered, you can get clipped, you can get taken completely out of the game because your guard is down, because there's been such an emotional, spiritual, mountaintop experience. One of these is in Genesis. Turn to Genesis chapter 21. And I'm going to read you a combination of things today where people felt let down and where there was a letdown after a great experience. This one is in Genesis chapter 21 and involves Hagar, one of Abraham's wives, mother to his children. Sarah was his wife. Hagar was her servant. And they jumped in and said, well, Sarah can't have kids. We'll let Hagar have it. And then all of a sudden Sarah gets jealous and just basically evicts Hagar And she departed, verse 14, she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy, her son, the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. You cannot leave God out of the equation. There are things that I can't do that you can't do, but that God can invade our world. And if you see, God allowed Hagar to get evicted and thrown out into the wilderness. But look at verse 17. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. The water, the well was there all the time. She got so let down, so discouraged, she couldn't see it, but God revealed it to her, let her see it. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife from him of the land of Egypt. A few pages over in 1 Kings chapter 19, and if you don't know where these things are, don't fake it. Take your time. Find it. All these books are in the table of contents in the front of the Bible, and you can find 1 Kings and then chapter 19. The page number should be there, and you can go to it. But the story in 1 Kings is about Elijah when he fled from Jezebel to the wilderness and sat under the juniper tree and wished to die. He had just whipped spiritually 450 prophets of Baal. They had been put to death. Fire from heaven had fallen and consumed an altar. And it had not rained for three years. All of a sudden it's raining. And after this unbelievable spiritual experience, look where Elijah goes and what he says. First Kings 19 verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. What is a prophet of the caliber of Elijah doing out in the wilderness saying, God, take me, God, kill me? Now, most people won't admit this kind of stuff, but I've had times in my life where I have begged God to get me out of here. 
It was a cop-out maybe because the pressure was so great. It's got to be better in heaven. Of course it is. Get me out of here, God. Elijah, maybe you, you get in a situation of, God, I can't take it anymore. Get me the heck out of here. And here after this huge mountaintop type experience, Elijah is praying that he might die. It's enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. Look at Jonah chapter 4. If you read the story of Jonah, God told him to go to Nineveh. He goes completely the other direction to Tarshish. God finally turns his life around, gets him on his way. They throw him in the water. You have to read the story. A large fish swallows him, spits him out after three days. He finally obeys and goes to Nineveh. He preaches to them. God spares the city. It doesn't get any better in spite of how bad this story is and his disobedience. He obeys and God answers and comes through for the city of Nineveh and spares the whole city. But look what happens to Jonah in Jonah chapter four, verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. He's mad that God did all this. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's mad at God for saving Nineveh. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. He's sitting out there waiting to see what would happen if God might destroy it after all. You know what he's doing? He's pouting. And I don't want to go into that because I have a degree in that myself. But anyhow... And the Lord God prepared a plant, made it come over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and so it damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Suicidal almost, on the verge of, if I'm not going to take my life, God, take it. Almost challenging God, get me out of here. Because he feels let down from this huge experience for whatever reason. You say, well, this doesn't make any sense. Why would he go from that to that? That's my question for you and I today. How do we go from such exuberance and such joy and such euphoria and situations in our life and then bottom out and get to a death point? And I'm sick of this and I want out of here. Now I want you to turn to the book of Lamentations. And as usual, I'm not really sure who all this is for. But if you are feeling let down or let down after something, discouraged, even depressed, beyond anything you can imagine, then I'm going to flat out read a big portion of Lamentations. And I want you to hear this prophet and how he felt. And if you say, well, the Bible doesn't apply to me, it's about to smack you upside the head. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 1 I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. 
He has been to me a bear lying in wait like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become the ridicule of all my people, their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. Now, that's heavy, depressing. Oh my gosh, I'm not going to make it. But look in the middle of this chapter how he survives. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Now let me parenthetically tell you something. I don't care where you are, who you are, what you're going through, what the letdown or how let down you feel or how depressed clinically or otherwise, wherever you are, the only way, highs and lows included, to maintain some stability, some consistency, some balance in your life is to have a relationship with this God that is maintained on a daily basis and not just to have a Bible, but to read the thing. There are men and women of God who have come thousands of years, hundreds of years before us who have lived it. There's no new stuff. There's no new feelings. And God knows how to deal with this. And he has allowed people to go through it and write about it so that we can read what they did and how they survived it. And in the midst of so much pain, we've read through verse 20 in this chapter alone, this is how the writer here says, this is the hope where I knew I was going to make it. Verse 21, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now look where he goes. He just said how he's feeling. But then he says, I recall to my mind, you say, well, I don't feel like praising God. I don't feel like thanking God. I don't feel like going there. It's not about what you feel. It's by faith. Even if it's in your head to begin with, you say, God, I'm not going to make it just going down the tubes. I'm going to start focused on who you are and what you can do and what you've done and what I believe you're going to do again in my life. So he goes through all this stuff. Now, let me go back and read verse 22. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Why are you even still alive? You say, but all this bad stuff has happened in my life. Why are you even still breathing and alive? Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. He is compassionate. No matter what you face, he has not forgotten you. And look at verse 23. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Where else are you going to go? Where else have you been going? Some people get overwhelmed, discouraged, depressed, and flee to everything but God. They don't wait quietly for God to show up and intervene in the situation. We say, well, you know what? I'm tired of waiting on God. I'm going to fix it. 
And what do we do? We fix it all right. It's compounding interest. We not only have the problem we had before, but now we got the problems we've created trying to solve the problems we had before. Verse 27, it is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Do you know what that means? You say, but I think he's ditched me. He's let me down. He's abandoned me. The book says he will not cast off forever. Even if he set you aside for a reason, for a season, for now, he will not do it forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men to crush under one's feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the justice due a man before the face of the Most High, or subvert a man in his cause. The Lord does not approve. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? Let me read that again. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe, in other words, tough stuff, and well-being proceed? Why should a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain and not pitied. You have covered yourself with a cloud that prayer should not pass through. And you can go on and read the rest of it. Ever feel that way? You say, well, no, I'm fine. You know what? You have, may have felt that way before and you may have a day come. You need to know where this stuff is. And you may have people around you who are sucking air and not going to make it unless they get some encouragement. We all struggle and we all negotiate and say things like, well, God, you let me down, but I'll do this if you'll come through on that. You know what? You got to make up your mind. You're going to love him and live for him, whether he blesses you or crushes you. You're going to stay in your lane. I got nowhere else to go. And God, if my marriage gets better, great. If it gets worse, okay. I have nowhere to go but you. If my wife gets well, great. If she dies, I can't change that. If my kids ever live the way I trained and raised them to live, or if they go off or make idiots of themselves, I can't control all those things, God. The little control that I have is over my relationship with you, and even that I struggle with, because you're perfect and I'm not. You stay with me, I leave. You're faithful, I'm unfaithful. So I'm going to stick to one thing I know, and every day I'm going to obey you, God, to the best of my ability, and trust you, and try to keep it just steady as she goes, no matter what comes or goes. And learn to be content in that. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm going to make maybe somewhat of a bold statement here. And I don't know that it's completely true. Maybe two statements. One is, if you make it without Jesus, I'm not sure how you're going to do that. And you might, but you will exist. You will merely survive. My experience is you will not make it without Jesus. I'm not talking about God. There's a lot of people believe in God. I'm talking about the God that has a son named Jesus who came and lived and died on a cross and was buried and raised from the dead and is coming back and that understands what it is to live here and to suffer and to be without and to be tempted yet without sin and to go through everything we've gone through. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He has been here, done this and survived it. He knows this gig. He knows what's up down here. You won't make it without him. 
And if you stop long enough to look at people and to listen to people and look in their eyes and listen to them talk and the things they talk about and what they pursue with their time and their money, it's going nowhere. There is no hope. There is no future. It's accumulation. There is no promise of tomorrow or after death. There's just fear and more pleasure. And let's just keep the ball rolling, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. But if you sit them down and stop them long enough and ask a few questions, you'll discover they are sucking air too and they are looking for answers. And they don't need people who are rich all the time, healthy all the time. They need people who go through, get hammered like they do and yet stay in their lane. And who are blessed and stay in their lane. Don't go off without God either way. And that's where your life and my life have an indelible imprint and mark on other people's lives. Even if they choose not to believe, they say, you have got something in the midst of your despair and your depression and feeling let down and going through whatever you're going through. I don't have what gets you through it to get me through it. And then they want to hear about the reason for the hope that's within you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that which is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. And then jump over a page or two, Hebrews 13, verse 6. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Do not despair. You say, well, it's not exciting in my lane. It is greener grass on the other side. I think God's using my life up or wasting my life. They're doing more over there. You want to be somebody? Find out where God wants you and be there. That's what makes you somebody. You say, but they're getting more results over there. It doesn't matter what kind of results. You're not being let down. You're obeying. Hold your line. My job is to hoe my row and do what God left me here to do and be faithful to that and to love my wife and to love my kids and pastor the flock that's around me. You want excitement? Then trust God, obey God, live for God. Stay in your lane. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Richard will be back in a moment to wrap up today's talk. But first, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Let's be honest, real life isn't about living some highlight reel for others to see. Most people have deep hurts, questions, and struggles. Well, we get it, and we want to help you in any way we can. So let's keep this conversation going. You can give us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. You can even put in your prayer request right there on the prayer wall. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or online at richardellistalks.com. And now let's get back to Richard with a final word on today's show. One of the things that occurred to me in all this, and I, for some reason, never can shake John the Baptist. God doing what he was told to do ends up in a cell. Some chick dances and they come in and his head's gone. Take it on a platter. What's up with that? You know what? The second John's head came off, he was a happy man because he was home. We are trying too hard to stay when the whole deal is about going. You got cancer or something, you're going to die? Then say, Father, I thank you for this cancer because I'm going to be home with you. I'll miss my husband. I'll miss my kids, my family, my friends. But I know you, and this may be my ticket out of here. Now, I'm asking for a chance to stay. If you got doctors or miracles and you want me to stay, you're going to have to do something, God. Otherwise, I'm out of here. And I'm going to show people not just how to live, but how to die with some hope and some dignity. 
And if I'm never rich, if I'm poor, I'm going to be poor with some purpose. I may never have what everybody else has, but I'm going to show people how to live a life one day at a time, trusting you, obeying you, and it's better than anything else. Don't give up. And you say, well, I can't do what you're talking about. I don't even have the relationship with this God that you talk about like you know, but you can know him. And a relationship is just a handshake away. It's just a receiving a gift away. You say, God, I've screwed up. I need your forgiveness. I believe this Jesus is who he says he is. He's God and a man. He did live a perfect life. He died on the cross, shed his blood to pay for my sin, was buried and raised from the dead to give me eternal and abundant life. And I'm here to cash in. I want it now. I want it today. It's that easy. It's that close. You say, well, that's bull. I don't believe any of that. Then why is your heart racing and beating like a drum? And it's like God is knocking on the door of your heart saying, I want in. Explain that away. I've been there. I know what that sounds and feels like. This is your day. This is your chance maybe to reach out the hands of your heart and accept the most expensive, amazing gift ever offered and let God come live in you and through you and enable you to hold it in your lane when that's what you need to do. This has been Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. There's only one reason we do this program, to take the planet with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our message and our mission. And you have a vital part of doing that along with us. If you've been encouraged by these talks with Richard, be sure to share with someone about the change they've made in your life. And we'd love to hear your story as to how the talks have made a difference to you. Give us a call. We'd love to talk with you. 855-6-RICHARD. You can also reach us through our website, richardellistalks.com. And while you're there, check out all the fun and informative pages we put together for you, richardellistalks.com. While you're there, be sure to click on the Contribute tab at the top to send your generous gift. If the program is making a difference to you, your gift will make a big difference to us. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.